Hello, and welcome to Linux Action News, episode 226, recorded on February 2nd, 2022. I'm Chris. And I'm Wes. Hello, Wes. Let's do the news. And we start with more performance. Or at least, that's the goal of System76's new Rust-based tool that's aimed at making the desktop more responsive. They're calling it the System76 Scheduler. It's a service that runs in the background, and it continuously configures Linux's completely fair scheduler. That's CFS or, you know, the completely fair scheduler. It's generally optimized for server workloads and certainly not optimized for a desktop workload out of the box. Yeah, in scheduling, unfortunately, you kind of often have to choose between latency or throughput. And, well, considering how Linux is used in production, it kind of makes sense that the default is aimed more at throughput. But here's hoping this new effort can change that, because there's a few things it's trying to do in the background that make that seem possible. First, as you said, Chris, it's a background service that watches for battery status events. When you plug in your AC power, for example, it's going to then tweak the CFS scheduler's parameters to enable low-latency scheduling. That's based on some of the work the Zen kernel has done to the same effect. Then, when you pull that power cord out of your laptop and switch over to battery, the service will notice and revert those parameters back to the mainline configuration, which should be a little more gentle on your battery life. Also, the new service does a periodic scan of all your running processes and is able to apply relative priorities to those processes based on user-configurable settings. And finally, in combination with Pop Shell, which is required for this last trick to work, the new setup is able to automatically assign a higher process priority to the focused window on the desktop and any of its sub-processes, at the same time assigning a lower priority to background processes that you're not actively interacting with. Isn't that interesting? I mean, this whole thing is a great idea, and part of me just goes, oh, finally, finally somebody is tackling this. But the, the last bit there, with the integration into PopShell, where the window you click on gets scheduled priority, this is really starting to give us some insights into like where System76 is going with their desktop. And we've seen some of the graphical elements, but now we're getting a little bit of at least a hint, a little peek, if you will, at the technical side. And I love this idea. I've advocated for a desktop optimized scheduler for a very, very long time. I've done segments on Linux Unplugged about swapping out my scheduler, trying to get better performance. And what they've done here, if you look at it, is they kind of have a list of like a static list of applications that are going to get high priority or low priority. Some of them may or may not make sense for you. You'd, you'd kind of want to look at that because, again, this is early stuff here. But the way that they're periodically checking your processes or paying attention to your power level, that's sounding like some Mac OS level type stuff where they're really kind of taking a holistic approach from being aware of what the hardware is doing all the way up to the individual applications through the OS, the entire stack. And that's really the kind of product you get when you have a complete picture like this being taken into account, right? Like, that's interesting. And it makes me excited about where they might be going. Don't worry, though. You won't necessarily need a fancy new machine to get the benefits because over on Reddit, System76's Michael Murphy, who at least at this point seems to be something of the lead developer on this new effort, noted that, quote, through internal testing, 
this noticeably improves desktop responsiveness for low-end hardware, like the Raspberry Pi, as well as the smoothness and frame rates of both games and VR. Well, speaking of things that just seem like they're taking forever to finally get here, it seems that the Raspberry Pi OS is getting the long-awaited upgrade to 64-bit. Now, I know what you're thinking, but Chris, the Raspberry Pis have been 64-bit since 2016. Are you telling me that they're just now getting the OS upgraded? Yes. That's because not all of the hardware is actually 64-bit yet, but a good portion of it is, and so it seems that the Raspberry Pi folks have decided to grace us with a 64-bit OS to match their 64-bit hardware. Yeah, up to now, you kind of had to look to an alternative operating system if you wanted to take full advantage of your hardware. The Raspberry Pi folks say that that was mostly to maximize compatibility, which I can understand. They also say to, quote, avoid customer confusion. I don't know about that, but regardless, I'm glad that they've come to realize that there actually are a whole host of reasons that people are likely to want a 64-bit operating system and not to be stuck in last century. Framework, the folks behind the Framework laptop, that plucky little module-based DIY machine that runs Linux, has some great news this week. They announced they just raised $18 million in Series A funding, and they say they didn't have to raise this money to keep the lights on. To put things in a little more context, Framework was founded back in January of 2020 and then shipped their first product, the Framework Laptop, in July 2021. Now they're hoping to use this fresh injection of cash to fund development of upcoming product categories, a long roadmap of more of those extensible modules, and geographic expansion for the laptop itself. It looks like they're also using that money to hire. They say, quote, we're hiring across every area of the company. Especially key areas are our product marketing manager, hardware engineering manager, and full-stack developer roles. That is huge, right? Because realistically, this isn't the first time the framework folks have raised money. They've just raised smaller batches of money from independent investors. And now they're getting a big chunk. They're getting into the VC game because they've got a product that is proving itself. They've sold a bit in the marketplace. They've got investors. They've already sort of demonstrated that they can work with them. Like a lot of this stuff is lining up. And it seems to me like the future is pretty bright for the framework here. And the healthier they are as a company, the more likely there will be this marketplace for modules that they have envisioned with all of this. So it's great news. And it's one of these things where you don't really want to see a lot of series of funding. You know, if we start seeing a series C and a series D then that means there's a lot of cooks that are going to be in the kitchen. And that's going to be a red flag as far as I'm concerned. But a Series A with a strong product and strong leadership, I think that's pretty manageable. And so I think all in all, this is great news for Framework. Well, it's finally happened. Docker is coming to Linux. Well, Docker desktop, I should say. This is something the Mac and Windows have had for quite a while, and I guess they just didn't really see the need to release it on the Linux side. But that's all changing now, so buckle up, everyone. I should warn you, actually, it is a very early days. We gave it a go here on the show. Had to make a few tweaks just to get it even running on my system. 
and go through an entire process of installing dependencies, changing groups, and all that kind of stuff. But once you've done all of it, you get the Docker desktop that you may know, love, or hate, <laughs> depending on your relationship with it. But you should also be aware it's not Docker like you're typically used to it on a Linux system. No, much like its cousins on those other operating systems, Docker Desktop for Linux runs all your containers in a separate Linux VM. Now, that may raise a skeptical eye or two out there in the audience. I mean, I think it did for us too, Chris. But anticipating this, they've got a long list of justifications for running in a virtual machine, including to ensure that Docker Desktop has a consistent experience across platforms, or uh, just to enable the use of new fancy kernel features that you might not get if you are restricted to whatever kernel you were running on the host. That last one there caught my attention. I'm, I'm trying to think of a use case where someone is developing, say, a server-side application inside Docker Desktop, and they want it on the absolute latest kernel. Perhaps it's a project they're working on years ahead of time, maybe. But it's interesting they mention that nonetheless. Inside a VM feels kind of gross. Like, why not just run a VM at that point? And okay, consistent experience across platforms. All right, I can see that. That way, you know, if you have a team that's got mixed desktops, Windows, Mac, and Linux, perhaps. I don't know, Wes, you, you interface with this stuff more on the daily. Does this feel kind of like a hack to you? I don't know about a hack, but it's not very appealing to me. I'll be, I'll be honest. I mean, I do use Docker Desktop because I kind of have to when I'm developing on a Mac. But I don't like it. I don't like the extra impedance mismatch, the extra abstraction layers, all the things in between. Now, that's it. If you're just focusing on development and you don't really care what the underlying implementation is, then I don't think it matters, right? You, you still get the local Docker command. Pretty much everything works like it did, at least once you've jumped through the hoops to get this early adopter version up and going. But if you are a Linux enthusiast, someone who's been working with containers a long time, or might need to do some workflows that are a little bit out of the ordinary, yeah, I think it just makes all that more complicated. There seems to be something with the timing on the release of this as well. Like, one of the questions we had is, why now? Yeah, the timing is interesting. Docker's just announced some pretty good annual recurring revenue, or at least better than some of their financials in the past. And we have seen that since they sold off their enterprise business, they've refocused on developer tooling. So maybe this is just an effort to fill the gap, you know, make their product line look a little nicer, sell it to managers who might have individual developers who are on a variety of operating systems. But it also comes as we've just ran out of runway for that grace period they gave after relicensing Docker Desktop. Well, that's just it, Wes. You've, you've got to make that subscription more and more appealing all the time. Plus, I mean, the elephant in the room here, SUSE just unveiled Rancher Desktop 1.0, so they have competitors that are offering cross-desktop tools like this. So in a way, they're just kind of catching up with the market. And just a few project updates to catch you up on, starting with Rust. It seems three core team members have just recently decided to leave. Rust Foundation board member and project director Florian Gilcher, Rust infrastructure team lead Pietro Albini, and perhaps most notably, prominent author and community member Steve Klabnik, who's off to join Brian Cantrill's hardware company, Oxide Computer. Now, this news comes after some recent drama last year around the resignation of the Rust moderation team. 
And of course, this has led many to wonder if perhaps these two events are connected. (laughs) Yeah, well, we were kind of wondering too, to be honest. But a spokesperson has clarified that the decision of the three to step down is not connected to last year's moderation team event, at least according to them. Now, moving from Rust back to C for the moment, there's some big news in the world of Redis, with the release of Redis 7.0 RC1, which comes with some significant performance optimizations, but also some breaking changes. Well, those performance optimizations, they really seem to be coming from the general category of memory savings, like significant memory savings across the board from various optimizations, lower copy on write memory overhead, improvements to F-Sync to avoid large writes to disk, improved latency throughout, and a lot more. Looks like a great update if you can manage those breaking changes. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, Redis is used all over and, well, more efficient use of memory for an in-memory database has got to be good. But while we're talking about databases, we've got one last update here. MariaDB, which started life out as a humble MySQL fork, but has become one of the fastest growing and most popular open source databases, announced this week its intention to become a publicly traded company. Okay, so this is a complicated deal. It involves Maria merging with this other group called Angel Pond Holdings, which is a special purpose acquisition company, or what's, what's known as a SPAC. Yeah, SPACs have been pretty popular recently, partially because they function as something of an alternative to a traditional IPO, where you don't have to make the same kinds of disclaimers and don't have to have as much vetting. So in that sense, let's hope this goes a little better than some of the recent ones. We'll see, though. The combined company will be named MariaDB PLC and will be led by MariaDB's existing CEO, Michael Howard. And at least from what we know right now, the new company, once it's formed, should be worth approximately $672 million. Linode.com slash LAN. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account, and you go there to support the show. So it's Linode.com slash LAN. This show is made possible by you taking advantage of our sponsors' offers like this, and it's a great opportunity for you to get $100 to really try out Linode. It's how we deploy everything in the cloud now. They started in 2003, and now, 18 years later, they're the best at this. They are the largest independent open cloud provider. That checks a box. But they remain focused, making cloud computing simple and approachable and affordable. Oh, yep, that checks a box. And they're dedicated on just expanding Linux and deploying it wherever possible. And yeah, (laughs) of course, that checks a box. And they have a great suite of features. So their systems are super fast. That was always number one for me. They do have 11 data centers around the world. And they also have a bunch of great backend systems like S3 compatible object storage. That's one I use all the time. So I like to mention that one, like usually number one at the list. But also, like just thinking about like a multi-cloud strategy, they got a lot of nice stuff in there, including Kubernetes and Terraform support. And by the way, if that's something you're trying to learn, they have fantastic documentation on that. And it's a great opportunity to use that $100 credit. You could really learn Kubernetes in an environment right there inside Linode using our $100 credit. So go to linode.com slash land. Take advantage of that. Their pricing is 30 to 50% cheaper than the other major cloud providers out there. They got fantastic customer support, and they're not trying to lock you into their platform like those big hyperscalers are that got them weird-looking UIs with them complicated verbiologies. You know what I'm talking about. 
So go try them out because Linode is dedicated to offering the best in virtualized cloud computing. If it runs on Linux, it's going to run on Linode. So sign up today and support the show at linode.com slash LAN. So that's linode.com slash L-A-N and get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account while you support the show. And of course, a fantastically huge thank you to Ting, linux.ting.com, my mobile phone provider since 2013. And it's simple. Ting's the best out there. It's smart, simple mobile. I don't want to invest a bunch of time, even once a year, to like go through my phone stuff. I don't want to have to deal with that. And really, the phone duopolies here in the United States should have to do business differently. They just don't because no one's forced them to do it. But Ting is changing that game. They're putting pressure on the industry. They're an MVNO, and they ride on top of multiple networks. So you get great nationwide coverage, LTE, 5G, but you work with Ting. And they're fantastic customer support. And they're unbelievably great rates. And Ting Mobile was recently named the number one carrier by Consumer Reports in 2021. Congratulations, Ting. That is awesome. It really is just a smarter way to do mobile. The pricing is fantastic. And when you go to linux.ting.com, you get $25 towards a device or a new plan. Now, the reality is most of the phones out there are going to work with Ting now just because Ting supports so many networks. So head over to linux.ting.com and check your current phone. You create an account, you pick the plan that's right for you, and then Ting, they just send you a SIM card right into the mail. You pop that sucker into your phone. It may or may not make those noises, and you'll be activated in minutes. You do it all through their website generally, and it's just mm, chef's kiss. It is so, so slick. So get started by going to linux.ting.com, support the show, and get $25 off a great deal at Ting. That's linux.ting.com. So, you may have heard this week about a ButterFS bug that was hitting some folks running the 5.16 kernel. We thought we'd take a quick look and break down what went wrong and how it got fixed. Now, thankfully, 5.16 probably isn't deployed in very many enterprise environments, but definitely some of us out there love to get their hands on the latest kernels, and there were some changes in there that specifically related to ButterFS's defragmentation code which introduced a regression that causes an extreme right I.O. issue and eventually takes up at least 100% of one of your CPU cores. <laughs> That's always great. It apparently leaves you in some sort of defragmentation infinite loop. In other words, a Windows user's worst nightmare. Now, before you fret too much, the good news here is that with the release of Linux 5.16.5, this has all been fixed. And for helping to fight off similar issues like this in the future, there's now restored support for allowing defragmentation to be interrupted by a simple signal from the user instead of having to reboot your whole darn system. And because it's always good to know who's fixing your bugs, it looks like we can thank two engineers at SUSE for all this good work. It's great that ButterFS has so many companies involved in making it better and better. And uh, tip of the hat to the SUSE developers for getting that fixed. But you know what? The news isn't all bug fixes for ButterFS. There's also some feature improvements that are being worked on. We did cover some on-disk format changes recently. Well, just a small update here. That extent tree version 2 work is progressing nicely, and it's been queued up into the ButterFS, quote, for next code, hidden behind a debug flag. 
Yeah, with David Sturba pulling this into four next, it could mean that some of this initial work ends up in Linux kernel 5.18. Although, as you say, behind a debug flag, which would mean one might need to actually compile their own kernel to actually play with this. But given the story we just covered, and since this is all rather experimental, that's probably a good thing. Now, there's a lot to like about these changes, since they're trying to address some long-standing issues with the on-disk format. But the initial shiny feature, at least in what's been queued up so far, is support for multiple global routes. Hmm. That sounds like an interesting feature. Multiple global routes. Yeah, this is definitely something we'll be keeping an eye on. Very, very interested in watching any kind of improvements they can make and any kind of new features they can make. And then, of course, watching how they roll this out how it impacts people that have systems in production and how all of that managed, that's going to be absolutely critical to the story and we'll be keeping an eye on that. So make sure you go to linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe for all the ways to get new episodes. And linuxactionnews.com slash contact for ways to keep in touch. If you'd like to get Linux Action News ad-free every single week, support the whole network at jupiter.party. Become a member and get Linux Action News ad-free as a perk. But don't worry... Even if you can't right now, we'll be back next week with our take on the latest Linux and open source news. Thanks for joining us. And that's all the news for this week. <laughs>